0: Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Just popping in really quick to do a little bit of housekeeping before we start the episode. I want to let you know that the chat you're about to listen to that I had with Doug Brooks was recorded back in September before I upgraded my mic. And so the sound is not as good as it has been. And I apologize for that. But the talk is great. And so, you know, give and take. Secondly, I want to let you know that we've started our YouTube show. Yay! It is called Life After MLM The Show. Thank you so much to everybody that was there on our live pilot episode. We will be streaming every Friday morning at 9 Pacific Standard Time Um, for about an hour, hour and a half. We're just going to sort of let it go and let it see where it takes us. But we're going to have experts, advocates, activists, victims, survivors, the whole shebang, right? It's basically if this podcast was live and had more than one guest. I can't always promise a focus, but we're going to try to have a topic focus every week and have experts um, for that focus so that we can discuss just deeper issues that are in multi level marketing. I just want to create a really nice, open, and safe space for us to have these discussions and keep it educational. So it's been really fun so far. We've got a couple topics that are coming up. If you are listening going, oh my gosh, I really want to be on that, or I have a really great topic, or here's something that I've really wanted to dive into, let me know. Hit me up. Leave a comment. Send me an email, whatever way you'd like to. I am currently looking for topics, currently looking for panelists, and really anybody that wants to be a part of this. So if you think you've got a great idea and that you want to do this, I would be so happy to have you. We're going to continue to keep this momentum growing and this community growing And treat this almost like a living resource. I'm so excited. Anyway, that's just the beginning of 2022. Please make sure you're following us on social media so that you don't miss any of this stuff and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. This is a really exciting episode today. We have Douglas Brooks, MLM lawyer extraordinaire, and we are going to talk about MLM and legal stuff and sort of his whole entire career. So, it's lovely to have you, Doug. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, please introduce yourself and let us know how you even got started with MLM.
1: Well, thanks. First, thanks very much for having me on, Roberta. I think uh, you are doing very important work, having uh, creating a space where people can talk about their experiences. Um, when I first started bringing MLM cases, there wasn't anything like this, and that's one of the most exciting developments in this area over the past few years is that people like you and others in the, I'll call it the anti-MLM community, have uh, are out there, and, and you are uh, talking with victims and, and letting people know that they're not alone, that the reason they failed is not because they didn't follow the plan, or they're stupid, or they can't do sales, or anything like that. The reason they failed is that because they got involved in a system that is designed to fail for most of the people that are that are involved in it. So um, I'm I'm very happy to to help you along. Uh, you mentioned uh, Bob Fitzpatrick before. I, Bob and I have been friends and, and colleagues for. Decades really and and we have one of the things that we talk about lately is the fact that you know We've been speaking out all these years um, But haven't really gotten any traction now. I think you know you guys uh, You know got you guys out in social media and podcasts and YouTubes and whatever you are getting traction and uh, I think we're going to see some interesting developments uh in the, in, the, in the regulation and treatment of MLMs uh, by, uh, by the regulators. So I'm, I'm very excited to be uh, doing this now.
0: Yes. I mean, I always tell people, you know, they're like this anti-MLM community, this movement is so new. And I say, no, 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 no. They are the OGs. We've got Doug, we've got Bob, we've got the late John Taylor, wonderful Dr. John Taylor. These people, you guys have paved the way you laid the brick road. And we are now happily skipping toward the Emerald City on it. So you guys were the people that laid that brick road. So I I give you so much credit and thank you so much for having that education and having those statistics so that when people like me were wronged and we went looking for them, that it did take us some time to find them, but we did. And we were able to sort of build off of that. And I think collectively, we're getting more traction than this movement's ever gotten ever before so it's incredibly exciting so thank you for your groundwork
1: well thanks although I think my skipping days are, are behind me but uh, I appreciate that, that that comment
0: oh yeah no I it's it really does feel like that it, it feels like you guys paved the road and and we're like okay it's ready to go let's let's go so we're definitely on the way to the Emerald City <laughs> right. so what got you interested in in litigating multi-level marketing
1: well uh back in the in the 80s and, and early 90s I was in a firm that uh, specialized in representing franchisees um, we we represented franchisees all over the country and I learned a great deal about how franchising works and we also represented uh, distributors in, in traditional types of, of distribution arrangements so the whole the whole area of distribution where, where you have these relationships of Wholesaler and retailer, or wholesaler and distributor, or um, all the, the those relationships, um, you know, they cooperate most of the time, but they're they're fraught with difficulties, and and and, and sometimes there's litigation, and sometimes there's, there's, there there's are problems, and you you know you try to work them out, and if you can't work them out, then you then you have to go to court. So I I did those types of cases for, for a number of years. And then one of my partners, uh, one of my colleagues in that firm, decided. You know, we we decided to leave and and open our own firm, um, and we shared office space with a firm that did uh, class action work, and we ended up uh, because we had no money to pay rent, we were were sort of trading our time for for uh, for space, and we started working on. Uh, some of their cases. They're, this is a firm that did a lot of securities fraud class actions and consumer protection class actions, and they had filed a number of cases involving uh, multilevel marketing companies. And we said, well, hey, you know, we've been in the distribution area. You know, we we, we can handle these cases. You know, this this should be, um, you know, we could just you know fall off the truck and do these. Well, it and and, and so we took them on, but we realized fairly early on that this is a very different animal. This is not like any other kind of of distribution. In fact, I think at this point we're questioning whether it really is a form of product distribution at all. It really seems to be uh, a scam dressed up as as a product distribution system. But, But by that point I was hooked and I started doing more and more class action work and I did, we did many other types of cases involving you know, class actions. You know, we did uh, securities fraud and we did antitrust and product defects, um, but the cases <laughs> that always sort of got my, you know, you know got my blood flowing were these uh, pyramid scheme cases. They're very difficult cases from a from lawyer's point of view, they're, they're not attractive economically, but uh, there's something about the whole setup uh, and the whole system that has that, that, that has really um, you know uh, got me uh, hooked. And at this point, I, I, I am I'm not actively doing class action work, uh, but I am active in in trying to advocate for better regulation, better disclosure, uh, better transparency in in the whole uh, MLM uh, uh, area uh, but um, you know where I got uh, you know where I got started was 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 sort of you know sort of falling into it without a without really a plan we actually one of our earlier earliest cases um, uh, w- it was the uh, Webster versus Omnitrition case which which uh, from which we got a, a great decision from the Ninth Circuit but that case started, uh, for us at any rate, one of our former franchise clients um, uh, that you know, we had gotten a good result. Uh, actually, there were a group of, of clients in this particular fr- franchise. He, after, he, after we got him out of the, that franchise deal, he, he got involved in, in Omnitrition. And he came to us and said, you know, hey, I, I lost you know, some money in this. Uh, you know, can you do anything about it? And um, that case, uh, there were a number of other cases that were filed around the country that ultimately got consolidated. And that ended up to be one of the uh, the leading cases at the time on on what constitutes a pyramid scheme and and what what laws are available to to, uh, distributors who've been victimized by, by one of these things.
0: Yeah, um, and one of the quotes like that, that you said, and I'm sort of paraphrasing because I, I just quickly jotted down some notes, but um, in the Omnitrition International, you said an MLM could not avoid being characterized as a pyramid scheme because of the rules against front loading, front loading and requiring sales. So just because there's rules that say you shouldn't do that doesn't mean it's not still a pyramid scheme. They have
1: to be, they have to be enforced and they have to be effective. Uh, and that goes back I mean the, the, really the, the law regarding these these entities this multi-level marketing industry go back to the 1970s there's no there's no federal statute that defines what a pyramid scheme is or even that governs multi-level marketing uh, there are some state laws that um, uh, that that uh, and unfortunately, the Direct Selling Association has been uh, working very hard to get those laws changed so that they they allow the industry to continue the way it has been. But at the federal level, uh, there's there's no law that that specifically addresses it. There is a the Federal Trade Commission Act, uh, which is enforced by the Federal Trade Commission in general terms, uh, prohibits unfair or deceptive acts or practices in trade or commerce. And early on, back in the 70s, the the FTC decided that pyramid schemes would be considered an unfair, deceptive uh, practice. Um, But they never never came up with a rule or regulation that defines what a pyramid scheme is. They developed the definition through a series of, of cases. And unfortunately, each time they, they bring a case, they have to sort of re, re uh, uh, establish that, that definition. But back in the 1970s, there there were of the cases that they brought, there are two cases that sort of set the stage for everything that happened later. And the first case was the Coscott Interplanetary case. Which Coscot K O S C O T was a cosmetics uh, MLM, and it was uh, developed by the one of the more colorful characters in the area, a guy named Glenn Turner, um, who um, uh, and he all the elements that we know and love today were were present back then. You know the big meetings with everybody getting all excited and 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 you know jumping on their chairs and. Uh, you know all the hype and all the all the the talk about how this is going to change your life and how everyone's going to be rich and all you have to do is recruit uh, recruit recruit and and you'll you know you you will you know be relaxing on the beaches of the world. It's, it was all there back you know 50 years ago, um, and the FTC uh, and of course a number of states went after uh, Glenn Turner and, and his and his companies. Uh, And finally, the FTC moved and they they, uh, ultimately shut down Coscott and they issued an opinion where they said, okay, here's why Coscott is a pyramid scheme and here's what they're going to be prohibited from doing in the future. What they're prohibited from doing is having a system where you pay for the right to recruit other people. And receive compensation when those people join the plan, and that compensation is not related to bona fide uh, retail sales. And they were very clear in that in that decision. Retail sales meant sales to people who weren't participants in the plan, and and consummated sales, actual sales that have that have taken place. Um, it's ok. So it's okay to have a plan where you get paid a commission based on a sale that has happened. That's that's okay. You could tell that the FTC was struggling a bit with whether to even permit the whole multi-level, you know, unlimited recruiting type of thing. Um, There's there's a passage in, in, in the opinion which says, essentially says, we wonder whether we should even allow plans that are based on retailing, because even if you do have retail sales at the bottom, you're still faced with a situation where if you have unlimited recruiting, that you know at some point, people are not gonna find enough customers to buy this stuff.
0: Right, Um, I mean, the mathematical side of this comes in and it's very obvious, like Bob always says, like what, 13 levels of getting five people to get five people and you run out of people on earth. And that includes third world countries people on their deathbeds, people that are literally right. being born right now. It's, it's just, it's mathematically impossible until we figure out interplanetary space travel and we open it up to Mars. Like there just isn't more people that we can right. get into these scams. There just isn't.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and what happens is, you know, tragically what happens is the companies don't collapse because people keep on dropping out. Um, and that's the system. The system is built on failure. It's not like you know failure is a byproduct. Failure is the product. You, right. you know a few people rise, but but most people drop out. And the key is, from the from the MLM's point of view, is keep those people in as long as possible. Suck all the you can out of their wallets and their credit cards. Uh, you know bleed them dry, and then let them drop out. And then the commissions that would have been paid to them go up the chain. That's a feature called breakage. The high-level people that, that move from plan to plan, one of the things they look at is, is you know, where does where the breakage go? You know, who, who gets those commissions that people don't qualify for?
0: I also want to talk to you about, because uh, you mentioned it, and I wrote it down in my notes, that you used to do the franchise stuff. And I yeah. hear so many times when people are trying to defend themselves, especially when I'm p- presenting facts that these people come to me and they say, well, this just sounds like a franchise. or they're just my distributor or I'm just buying product and then selling it. But you and I both know that that's not true. Um, yeah. Is there a way that we can break that down in like the simplest terms so that everybody yeah. else also can, can understand that?
1: Well, let me, let me look at this. One of the types of cases that I Handled when I was doing franchise work was we call them cannibalization cases. Those are cases where the franchisor Builds a store that's too close to an existing store and they cause an impact on on that existing store You know Franchisees and franchisors they agree on a lot of things. You know, you wouldn't buy the franchise if you didn't like the burger you know type of thing, but if you're a Burger King franchisee you can compete with McDonald's. If, if a McDonald's opens across the street, you know, they can say, well, we have a special sauce, and you can say, but we're flame broiled. Flame broiled is better. But what you can't do is you can't compete with another Burger King across the street, because you're selling the same stuff at the same price to the same people. You you know, the only way you can compete is by lowering your prices, and you will, you will eventually go out of business. So you need to, to not have a Burger King across the street. You can deal with an Arby's or a McDonald's or, or a Wendy's, but but you know, you, you need to have a, a little bit of protected territory. Now Burger King doesn't give territories. They don't give protected territories, but they do study the market before they build a new store. And they they if, if, a, if a new store is going to cause a, a, too much of an impact on an existing store, they won't build it, usually. And now the, it's the usually part that leads to litigation because sometimes there are disagreements on, on you know, the, the franchisor says well, we did a study and, you know, you're going to be fine and don't worry about it. And the franchisee says, well, you built the store and you're killing me. What you know? What are you going to do about it? And so that that's when that's when the lawyers step in, and I had a case called Burger King Sheck versus Burger King, and Sheck was a franchisee, uh, had a store. Burger King built a store. You With know, simplifying the case, Burger King built a store that that had a, a huge impact on his existing store. We sued. One of the grounds, one of the bases that we sued on was. That Burger King breached the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing. Even though there's no explicit territory, they had a duty to basically not to destroy this guy's business. Burger King, and and we we got we got the judge to agree with us. The judge said just because you don't have a protected territory, that doesn't give Burger King the right to build wherever they want to if it's going to screw you. That case it's a very it's a very controversial case in the franchise world um there's you know a lot of the or lawyers like to attack it but as far as i know it's still good law and that goes back you know about 30 years
0: so um, if we were so, to like put mlm into that it would be like every single yeah, person going into burger king saying right. hey i really like this flame broiled burger and they're like you know what i've been watching you walk around the store i think you should own your own franchise and then literally having burger kings like i don't know 150 of them in one town
1: right that's the thing you know Franchisees want to have exclusive markets. Franchisors want to increase sales. So, a franchisor, if they want to make a million dollars, they don't care if they have a hundred people doing—do my math here—a thousand dollars, <laughs> a ten thousand dollars, or or ten thousand people doing a hundred dollars. You know, they get their million dollars either way. But franchisors also recognize that in order to have a healthy distribution system. They need to have healthy franchisees. They need to have, they need to give the franchisee a reasonable opportunity to succeed. They they need to give the franchisee, you know, the franchisee has to have some chance of having a viable business. And the franchisee knows, well, yeah, it might be nice to be the only store in town, but um, I benefit from the network effect. I benefit from having other Burger Kings in other towns because people will see my sign and say, Oh yeah, I went to that store, you know, two towns ago and uh, it was good food. So I'm going to go here now. So, so there, there's a balance there. When you get to MLM, there's no balance because you, as you were just saying, you're starting to, you're recruiting your, your competition. There's no limit on the number of distributors. There's no protected territories. You, if you are as a distributor are recruiting other distributors, you're recruiting your competitors, and you're recruiting. If you're recruiting in your warm market, as they say, you are recruiting um, your customers to become your competitors, and fundamentally, it, it doesn't make sense from from a distribution point of view. So the only way, it, you know, ultimately, we find out the only way to make money is by recruiting you can't make money by retailing because you know there's someone always there. That, and there's someone there, and their incentive is to sell at cost or or even a little bit lower because here's the other, here's the kicker. Because it's not enough that there's just, there's no territorial protection and no limitation on the number of distributors. The kicker is you've got inventory purchase requirements that you have to meet. There's no way to rise up in the plan. And there's no way to qualify to earn commission unless you account for a certain level of sales. And you know, show me an MLM compensation plan and I, I will find for you, or you will find for yourself, that there is some level of purchase that you are required to meet in order to participate in the plan. The MLM company, they will stand on a stack of Bibles and swear that the only purchase requirement they have is the starter kit, you know, for 50 bucks or 100 bucks. That's the only thing you have to buy. And now you're a distributor and, you know, the, the, the world is your oyster. But, the, and, but and it's, everything else is optional. We have to get real here, you know, what's, what's, you know, if you're, if you're actually going to be a distributor, you're actually going to participate in the thing, and you're going to recruit people, you want to make commission based on, on what those recruits do. And the, if the only way to make commission, the only way to qualify for commission is by buying X amount of stuff, you're going to buy X amount of stuff. Uh, Yeah. And that's, that's what, that's what the, the whole the, the 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 whole marketing push when you go to these meetings and the extravaganzas and, and, and whatever they want you to keep on buying stuff. I mean that's if you're if you're serious about the business they say um, you will um, you know you've got to be a product of the product you've got to you got to buy this stuff. How do you, how can you possibly sell the stuff unless unless you use it yourself? I and mean, that's, you know, that's the line, you, you know, you're going to hear a, a, a million times over. That's, that's my, you know, that's my franchise versus MLM a, a example. Um, you know, and a sensible distribution versus a fantasy, you know, Wizard of Oz distribution.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, like I said, like if everybody owned, you know, it, then nobody owns, right? If If everybody sells hamburgers, then nobody really sells hamburgers because we're all selling it. We don't need to buy it. Yeah. So it's so silly, right? It's like, people don't see that. They go, oh, you love this lipstick. You should, you should sell it. Okay, but you sell it. Why do I need to sell it if you sell it? If you sell it, I can get it from you. I don't need to sell it to get it. I know a hundred people that sell it. And that's the other thing, like, right? You can think of any MLM in your head and most likely, you know, at least one person that sells for that MLM. At least one.
1: No, it's true. It's, 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 it's everywhere. Uh,
0: Right. And it's not a Starbucks, right? It's not a Starbucks. People will say this to me too. Well, there's Starbucks everywhere. There's a Starbucks in every corner. And I'm like, and there's a line out every single Starbucks. That's why there's another Starbucks down the street.
1: (laughs) And that's, that's a company owned system too. That's not, those are not separate franchises. That's, that's, you know, Starbucks made a decision that we're not going to franchise. We're going to, you know, we're going to be, uh, vertically integrated and and um, so we can build next door uh, if we want to. Uh, the only person we 're hurting is ourselves you know but and but you 're right every Starbucks you see there 's a line out the door, so um, you know they must be doing they have a real product that people really want
0: yeah uh, you know even if you don 't like starbucks and you 're like mm, corporate coffee, you have to give it to them like they know what they 're doing they 're competing yeah. against themselves and they're doing great. There's, there's literally two star in my, I live in a tiny town. There are literally two Starbucks in in town and they're in the same shopping center. One's in the grocery store and one is a freestanding store next to the grocery store. And both of them do amazingly well.
1: But if there were, if there were 20 or 30, you know, you might begin to wonder with MLM, there's no limit on, on, you know, no one is making a decision. Well, here's a town of 30,000 people, we know that there should be you know, 2.5 stores which will, will service that number of people. No one's making decisions like that. It's just total recruitment um, without regard to where the distributor should be or what markets we need to, to exploit or, or what you know what, what, is the, what is the minimum size of a market that a, that a distributor needs in order to be viable. No, no one's making decisions like that. It's ir- it's irrelevant in, in MLM. Uh, the only thing that matters is is, is uh, uh, recruiting, and how good a recruiter you are basically determines how you know how much uh, you're going to succeed in, in the business. So I right. mentioned the the Costco case. Amway was just a few years after Costco, and the the judge who the administrative law judge who decided it cited Coscott as as the controlling authority. But then in the decision, he sort of totally turns around and and runs away from from Coscott. Because Amway is a system where, first of all, like every other MLM you've seen, there's unlimited recruiting. There's, There's no limitation on the number of recruits. There's no territorial protection. And Uh, You have to meet a certain level of of purchases in order to qualify to earn commissions on your downline. And Amway pays commission before retail sales are made. In other words, the thing that triggers the payment of the commission is a distributor buying stuff. The the system, you you, you know, you you get paid a, a, a commission before that stuff is sold to a consumer. But Amway said to the FTC, well, it's OK, because we have these rules that encourage uh, distributors to make retail sales. We require distributors to sell to 10 different people uh, every month. And we require distributors to sell 70% of their prior month's order before they make a new, a new order. And we also require them to buy back stuff from their customers if the customer doesn't want it. And they said those three rules uh, encourage retail sales and uh, therefore you don't have to enforce this requirement that that commissions are only paid based on consummated sales to non-participants. It's okay if, if, if people are our, 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 you know, our distributors love our products. They're going to buy them themselves, so they're their own customers. Um, so, so we have this situation where, and 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 then the FTC endorses that. They say, okay, um, Amway, you're not a pyramid scheme because you have these rules, and we believe you. When well, you that's what I was
0: about it. to ask you. So, did yeah. they have to prove that they were actually enforcing these rules, or did they just in, have to say we have them in place?
1: In the in the Amway decision. Um, when you when you read that part where they talk about these rules, the footnote refers to the testimony of DeVos. Uh, I think it's Richard DeVos and and another Amway executive. I, I'm not I'm not sure. I'd have to look back at the decision. But but in, in essence, the, the the FTC agreed. You know, they 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 bought the testimony of of Amway executives who said. Oh yes we enforce these rules and and they they effectively ensure a retail sales there's no reference to any actual effort to go out and see well where are these products being retailed who are the customers Um, so but there 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 was a finding that the sales that the rules were enforced and effective so Later on, in, in, in my Omnitrition case, the Ninth Circuit picked up, them, picked up on that because Omnitrition said, hey, we've got the Amway rules, uh, therefore we're not a pyramid scheme. And the, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said, "Well, yeah, we read, we read Amway too, and, and Amway, in Amway there was a finding, a factual finding that those rules, not only were they in the contract, but they were actually enforced and they were effective. And therefore, that the, 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 the Omnitrition decision was, a, was on a motion for summary judgment, so there had not been a trial. The judge dismissed the case without a trial because Omnitrition had these Amway rules. We appealed, and the Ninth Circuit reversed in our favor and said, no, Omnitrition is going to have to prove that these rules are actually effective in ensuring uh, retail sales. So from that Amway decision was 1979. So as of 1979, we've got two sort of regulatory models. We've got the Coscott approach, which says you have to have you know, consummated retail sales to non-participants in order to be, uh, uh, not be a pyramid scheme. And then you have Amway, which says, well, you just have to have these rules uh, in, in place and, and then you can do whatever you want and so a company, has a, an MLM company, Can they, they can follow the Costco approach or they can follow the Amway approach and of course everyone follows the Amway approach. That was basically the state of the law until just a few years ago when the FTC prosecuted Herbalife and in that Herbalife settlement and in some public statements that they've issued since then, they have said, guys, you know, the Amway rules uh, never were, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a panacea. They never they never were uh, a guarantee that you weren't going to be a, a considered to be a pyramid scheme. You have to have real retail sales and you have to document them and, you, you know, you, you can't just uh, rely on distributors certifying that they've sold X amount of stuff you actually have to be out there in the field, uh, making sure that the stuff is really uh, retailed. So right now, the past few years, the industry has been in a tizzy because you know for for decades um, they they took the position that um, all you had to do was have these Amway rules or some version something like the Amway rules in your policies and procedures, and you're going to be fine. Um, you know that that was. Lawyers sometimes call that a safe harbor. If you have, you know, you have a certain provision that meets a set of requirements, uh, and that protects you from being considered to be, well, in this case, a pyramid scheme. Uh, but that right. concept, yeah. So, I, so now Amway, the Amway rules are no longer a safe harbor. Um, you know, the Herbalife settlement imposed real you know, rigorous uh, requirements as to documenting retail sales on MLM companies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So another thing, because we're talking about Amway, um, that I like to bring up, and if people haven't read Ponziomics by Bob Fitzpatrick, again, I'm going to plug that book and say that you should, but they Bob talks about this. He talks about Neutralite, and Neutralite was, like, you know, one of the first OG MLMs, and they were selling these little, like, alfalfa pellet vitamins from they were making in their garage, And, uh, you know, the guys from Amway, they joined Neutralite. They were great salesmen. They had a huge downline. They decided we can do this better. And they left and they founded Amway. And they basically just made Neutralite, like baby Neutralite. And it was, they called it Amway, you know? And then Neutralite went down for being a pyramid scheme. And Amway continued to use Neutralite's business model and rules, even though they went down for being a pyramid scheme. And then in a in a fun twist that I love, they absorbed neutralite and added neutralite into their company and continued to operate as this neutralite pyramid adjacent company. And then, you know, in 75 there was the case, and then 79, it was like we just talked about. And so everybody now says, oh, well, you know, Amway got through it and we're just like Amway. But like I just said, literally they absorbed a pyramid scheme and and operate their business the same way, and somehow had this judge that looked at the case and said, you know, this looks fine. Uh, the dude that owns it says he's doing this, so I'm just going to trust him. Even though he's holding the smoking gun, it's totally fine. It's probably someone else's gun. And he's just holding it for him. So I'm going to go ahead and say that we're A-OK, and this is not a pyramid scheme, and you can go ahead and create hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds for the next 50 years, and everybody will be so hunky-dory, and it's going to be great. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, Bob's book is great on a number of levels, but one of them is that he he explains the politics involved and what was going on um, with uh, Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan. And, and you you know, it's it's a shame because what happened after 1979 is the industry explodes.
0: Head over to com and grab yourself a little something, something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a Cottonwood modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com MLM for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com M-L-M to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com M-L-M.
1: because now people have a model. okay now we know how we can navigate the, the regulatory minefield. Um, we're going to have these rules within a few years you know you have herbalife you have new skin you have you know all you know the big players all start in the, in the early uh, 80s and and the industry just explodes. Um, it just uh, and it, it, it metastasizes because every time you know the, the high- level people, Will fight with each other over downlines, and one group will split off, and, and they'll start a new MLM or an MLM. Every once in a while, one gets shut down by the FTC or maybe by a group of states going after them, and it, you know, it's like the Hydra from Greek mythology—you cut the head up, heads off, but they they live and they sprout new heads, and so you know new MLMs are sprouted and grow up, and and. You know, one of these days I'd really love to sort of create a genealogy of, of all these companies these people that have, over the years they keep on you know they bounce from one company to another uh, one company folds and then you know uh, you know six more companies develop uh, but uh, you know I, I think that'd be an interesting uh, project to do I haven't had the time to, to put that together but I, I'd love to, uh, uh, to you to to try to do that because
0: um, I think it would be amazing. Yeah, you know, you know. I think it would be so unbelievably eye opening to do the MLM family tree for people to be like, yeah. wait a second, Doterra came from Young Living. We're like, mm hmm, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, the guys who from on Nutrition, they came from Herbalife, um, and you know, so it's and it's it. There there are all sorts of twisted. One of the early uh, uh, MLMs that I that I sued. Uh, you had mentioned arbitration clauses before. Um, was a company called Consumer Byline. Well, the, the leader of Consumer Byline was this guy named Keith Ranieri. They they got shut down. You know, after we filed our case, about a about a year or so after, the New York AG shut him down, and and so and he was barred from uh, the MLM uh, business. But he resurfaces a few later, a few years later, with a group called Nexium, and Nexium i think if you if you've been following the story at all uh turned into this bizarre M- mlm based cult with low levels and, and and uh and recruiting uh but the product was uh enlightenment and um
0: yeah like uh, enlightenment really love- personal growth like yeah. yeah just hearing his name mm, it's just the probably the most vile Creature. I'm not even call me human. Most vile creature to to climb climb out of the cracks of MLM. Like just just disgusting creature.
1: But you know, it's an interesting thing, and 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 Bob has written about this as well. Is that really from from very early on there was this relationship between MLM and the the whole personal growth uh, movement. Uh, I mentioned Glenn Turner earlier. Glenn Turner not only did he have Costco Interplanetary, the, the, the cosmetics MLM, he also had a personal growth uh, business called Dare to be Great, which was also an MLM-based uh, program, which also attracted a great deal of, of, of litigation. But Dare to be Great was, I would say, a precursor to Nexium. It was you know, personal growth, how to be a better person, uh, not just how to be a better salesperson, but how to be a better person, how to, how to uh, be successful. And um, the way to be a successful, course, is recruiting all your friends and making commissions based on, on the course fees that, that, uh, uh, that they pay. Um,
0: there was another um, spiritual wellness MLM that popped up a few years ago. And I believe uh, Terrell Tanstrom, who had a hand in helping create Lularo and many other mlms was involved in this one as well and it was called bolo and i think it only lasted for six months before people were like um you're not even selling a product like this is clearly a pyramid scheme and it it folded but yeah it's just another one i'm like you guys aren't even selling anything other than let me just talk to you and and my enlightenment will be the product i'm like "Mm, that sounds scammier than than herbalife
1: but it is the same you see the same message over and over again it's it's uh um, the answer your, to
0: your prayers.
1: Yeah. What's your problem? What's your fear? What's, you know, what, what are your dreams? Oh, well, we can solve that. Um, it's, it's, we are the, you know, MLM is the answer to, to whatever your, your problem is.
0: Uh, 100%. I feel like anybody could come up with any vulnerability and we hear it all the time on the show. I was in a divorce. I had just had a baby. I had just broken up with my boyfriend. I had just moved across the country. I just graduated college. It doesn't matter. You put yourself in a vulnerable position and a scammer is going to come up and say, don't you want to have X, Y, Z? Because they know you do. They're going to ask you a question that you're not ever going to be able to say no to. They're going to say, don't you want more for yourself? Who would say no to that? Don't you want to earn more money? Don't you want to be paid for what you're worth? Who would ever say no to those questions? The questions they give you are loaded. They are emotionally manipulative. They are 100% to get you to suspend disbelief for just one second. Because if you can suspend disbelief for just one second, the next time I might be able to get you to suspend it for two.
1: And, and what they what they do when they first recruit you is they ask you well what is your dream what is your are you afraid of being laid off do you want to send your kids to college or whatever it is and then six months later when you know you're saying wait a minute I'm not making any money at this thing I'm, I think I'm gonna drop out and they go to you and say well what about your kids college don't you don't you don't you care about your dream I mean you know this is and so they they are you know, all that stuff is is recorded, and and it's it's all part of the plan. They, they you know one of the first things they ask you you know what's your dream. And they also ask you to make a list of everyone you know before you even know that you're really getting involved in this. Um, it's it, it, and it's all it's all part of the uh, package, and it goes. It's basically the same thing from MLM to MLM. They they all do uh, a version of this. Uh, you know, this uh, process.
0: Absolutely. And I want people to think back to any job interview they've ever been in. How many of them trained you on what to say? If someone asks if you're a scammer pyramid scheme, how many of them like fill it with balloons and raw, wrong confetti and have people come up and tell their sob stories about how they used to be on food stamps. And now they're buying a lake house. Like how many job interviews have you been in where they're literally just trying to convince you and manipulate you when you're like, Hey, I don't think this works for me. They're like, but what about your children? I thought you wanted to help retire your husband. I thought you wanted to bring him home from the oil fields. Do you not care about your husband anymore? You're just like, wait, Whoa, no, I do. Of course I do. Like, no, you're right. Okay. I did. I started this business to help my husband. I got to put at least six more months. Well, you know, starting a business is hard work and you know, maybe you just aren't cut out to own your own business. Not everybody is. You shouldn't feel bad if you're just not cut out to do this. It takes a special kind of person and they're manipulating you and they're making you feel like, well, no, I I could do this. I can, you got to believe in me. It is so unbelievably manipulative. I need people to understand that because this is not a a regular job.
1: Just, just trust me. Give me, give me a few more months and uh, you'll, you'll be there. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Oh my God. Um, So you did, you talked about arbitration clauses and that's something that I really want to talk about because I know that there are people listening who, because I get their emails, hey, I was with XYZ. I'm thinking about talking to a lawyer. I'm thinking about starting a class action lawsuit. And I always say, read the contract. Read that arbitration clause. See if this is something you can even do. See if this is something you can even get into the Ninth Circuit. See if this is something that can even pass these crazy things that they put into these contracts. Um, you've been litigating for over 30 years. I know it hasn't been MLM the whole time, but just so people know some of the some of the baddies that you've been up against. Um, new skin, herbalife, amway, consumer byline, nexium, like. Those are big names, okay? You are not some little guy that's never done anything. Like, those are humongous names. So
1: I never sued uh, Amway.
0: Never sued Amway, but but weren't you a, uh, you helped represent a victim of Amway.
1: I I did. I did represent uh, a, um, actually a a woman who ran, had a website called MLM Survivor. And she was sued by a high-level Amway um, uh, distributor for Uh, Defamation. Uh, So yeah, Um, yeah. So that kind of stuff
0: happens. So, so let's talk about that because you know I'm always very careful when I speak about my experiences to always talk about my experiences. I tell my guests please speak on your experiences, things that you know can be corroborated. Don't accuse people of anything that they haven't done or that you assume they've done that you can't prove. It's always very important to protect yourself and to tell your own truth, which is something that I always do use the word alleged. When you. (laughs) I just, I say, just don't even try to accuse anybody of anything that you can't prove because they'll come after you. And I've seen it happen. Um,
1: Even if you can prove it. I mean, the problem with our system is even if you can prove it, um, they may still sue you. And unless you have the, the wherewithal to defend yourself, um, you know you're you're going to be in a in a in a tough situation. Uh, there's I'm representing or helping uh, a young man who is being sued by a by an MLM in uh, Canada right now, and um, it's and this company has sued at least they brought at least 12 defamation suits uh, in the past uh, couple of years against critics. Uh, and the strategy is you know you file a suit. Very often, in a, in a jurisdiction that's that's far away from wherever the person lives, and um, you know, you you have got a law firm and, and they've got nothing, uh, and you know, the the easy, easiest thing for you to do is just to uh, take your stuff offline and and agree that you'll never talk about them again. Uh, that's what they're going for. They're they're uh, they're basically uh, frightening people into uh, uh, into not speaking out. So that is one of the things, uh, and that as as the, you know, this anti MLM movement grows, uh, I think we're going to see more and more uh, efforts to to stifle people. Uh, so yeah. you're right to be careful. You asked about arbitration. Uh, yeah. Uh, in, in in just about every. Uh, MLM distribution, distributor agreement that you're going to see today, uh, you're going to see a clause that says any disputes uh, have to be resolved through arbitration uh, and then they'll also have a, the state where you have to go to, to uh, resolve things. Right. And there'll also be a clause or, or it'll be part of that clause that says no class actions. Um, any uh, uh, arbitration or litigation will only be on an individual basis, um, and that is at least as problematic as, as the arbitration clause, Because, but those, those, those clauses, that's a double whammy. You're taking away the person's right to sue, uh, uh, and you're, you're taking away the right to band together with other people, uh, which is, as a practical matter, uh, is is very important because if you're involved in an MLM and you lose money, um, you may have lost thousands. You may have lost tens of thousands of dollars. Um, there, there are people who have even lost in, in, into six figures. But you know, not everybody has that kind of money to lose. But in order to uh, pay a lawyer. Um, you know, litigation is very expensive. Most people cannot afford to pay to, to buy to pay legal fees on an hourly basis. So they need to find a lawyer who will take a case on a contingency fee basis. But a lawyer who looks at a case and say it's a ten thousand dollar loss, they're going to say, "I'm sorry, you may have the best case in the world, but um, if my if the best I can do is recover." a $3,000 legal fee from a $10,000 claim, I can't take the case because I'm going to use, I'm going to spend, you know, I'm going to spend four hours of time just to, just to do my initial research. And, you know, so it's the only way a multilable marketing case can be brought by, by a civil plaintiff is as a class action, where instead of having one person with, who's lost 10000 you have a hundred thousand people, and there, you know, then then the lawyer can say, well, um, it's going to be a tough case, and and you know the chance I'm going to, you know, get get through the whole thing are, are um, you know, whatever they are, but at least there's a possibility that that I will uh, recover a, a, a decent fee at, at the end of it. So. MLM companies, by putting in these class action waivers, they've taken away that, uh, that ability. And the arbitration clause is similarly, uh, if you can't go into court, um, if the only way you can do this is by, is by arbitration, um, you are taking away, the, 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 as a practical matter, uh, uh, the ability of, of, of victims to, uh, to recover. I mean, it's one thing if you have if uh, arbitration clauses are very common in real distribution and, and franchise arrangements, and they may actually I I arbitrated a number of, of, of franchise cases. We you know if if there were an arbitration clause, usually we didn't fight it. We just we just uh, uh, we would arbitrate. Uh, but uh, those are you know franchisees can afford. Hopefully, can can afford to pay. Uh, legal fees you know, that there's a big enough amount of money at stake so that it's possible for a single franchisee case to be to be worthwhile with MLM um, if you if you take away that that class action uh, ability and you force people to arbitrate uh, yeah, and, and that that's the that's the problem and courts these days are tending to enforce uh, those types of clauses um, I have that consumer bylines case that, that I mentioned, that is actually a case where it where, uh, was one of the f- first con- MLM contracts I saw because it's going back to the early 90s. They, they had an arbitration clause in there, and, uh, but we went to court, and the, uh, the judge ruled uh, that, well, you know, what you've alleged here is a pyramid scheme, and, and this is a New York-based company. He, you know, we we did the research. You know, pyramid schemes are, uh, you know, violate the public policy of the state of New York. I'm not going to enforce a contract that violates New York public policy. I'm not going to enforce this contract because um, I, I'm essentially rewarding uh, a company for being a pyramid scheme. So, in in a nutshell, um, I'm oversimplifying here, but that that case. Uh, In the case the judge refused to enforce the arbitration clauses and there are cases uh, where uh, Judges have not enforced our arbitration clauses, but it's becoming increasingly difficult because each time that happens the guys that draft you know the lawyers that draft these MLM distribution agreements they take out their pencils and they revise the clause basically get you know they deal with whatever that you know judgment was and there because you will also see in every essentially every mlm uh distribution agreement there's a clause that says um we can change this agreement whenever we want to uh effective notice to you
0: yes Um, like this this agreement can change at any time without any letting you know about it at all absolutely
1: And then it's also, there's a clause that says, this uh, contract incorporates by reference our policies and procedures, and we can change our policies and procedures whenever we want uh, uh, you know, on notice to you.
0: At this yeah. point, if they change it because you signed that original contract, is there something in that original contract that says, because I've signed this original contract, I agree to all revisions of all other contracts in the future, no matter what it says?
1: yes. That's that's what that clause is 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 intended to mean.
0: So you're signing your life away, and you're saying you can change this at any time, and I'll completely con- continue to agree with it, no problem.
1: There are some cases. Some judges look at that and they say, "Okay, this is ridiculous. You can't have a contract which which one side can change at will to be whatever they want it to mean." I'm I'm I the judge. I'm saying. There is no contract here, so therefore I'm not going to enforce the arbitration clause because, in in essence, um, there's there's nothing to enforce because this isn't a this is not a real contract. There are a few cases that have held that, but there's a lot of judges. That's sort of a you know we're seeing a lot of, of uh, uh, judges appointed these days by uh, uh, to be conservatives uh, you know on the bench and. Uh, the, the 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 there's a, a tendency to sort of enforce contracts as written, and um, uh, that, so you, you you know it's sort of the luck of the draw whether you whether you 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 can you find a judge who will take a real hard look at a contract like that and say this is not a real contract this is this is you know th- this is just uh, you know, you can't have a situation where someone can just do whatever they want and call it a contract.
0: Right. And quick question, Doug. Although I feel like I know the answer, um, what other industries have contracts like this besides multi-level marketing?
1: There's a lot of interesting. There's a lot of consumer agreements where where you will see clauses like this. There are, um, you know, your agreement with your credit card company, or your telephone company, or your you know your cell phone company, or your 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 cable company
0: so you service know? contracts
1: yeah contracts where you know there's this big imbalance you know the, the, you know there's a lot of fine print which no one ever reads uh, but if you actually look at it you're going to see you're going to see arbitration clauses you're going to see you know clauses about how we can change change the deal uh uh you know on notice and maybe they'll give you 30 days to decide whether you want to agree to and it's you know uh Know, maybe it's some complicated privacy provision or or uh, or something like that. But uh, uh, that's that's where you you see. It. You don't usually see them in in um, sophisticated commercial agreements because the the parties are represented by lawyers and they're going to say no. You're, we're not going to agree to 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 allow you to change at will. Uh, you know the terms of the deal. We may agree to a car- an arbitration clause, but. But we're not going to, you know, we're not going to say, you know, the deal is whatever you want it to be, whenever you want it to to be. it.
0: So in terms of like any other jobs, literally no other industry, the only way you're going to see these really like red tape, deep, you should have read the fine print contracts are going to be in these really, these services, right? These cable, phone, these sort of things where you're locking yourself into something for an extended amount of time. That's true. Um, and then I have another question, and this is a LuLaRoe question just because this is what I know, but I know that LuLaRoe's arbitration clause requires you going to Wyoming for arbitration. So what would be the benefit of, as a company that's based in California, forcing arbitration to Wyoming?
1: Well, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, it that is called a choice of venue clause. And they're very common in sophisticated commercial agreements. And but again, when you're talking about consumers, you're talking about MLM distributors. It is so unreasonable to expect someone in, you know, Massachusetts or Florida or or California, to to bring a lawsuit in Wyoming in order to to uh, enforce their rights. I mean, it's it's just not going to happen why would, why would LuLaRoe do it? I, I don't know enough about LuLaRoe. It, it maybe do they, do they have a law firm that they really like there or, or, or do they just want to make it really, really difficult to, uh, to sue them?
0: Uh, um, I mean, we could hypothesize.
1: Yes. You know, and, and uh, assume the worst.
0: But, yeah. Uh, you know, I learned that from Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> like when someone wants to do something, when someone wants anything from you the game you play is what is the worst reason that they would want this favor or want me to do this thing um peter baelish taught me that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um that's very interesting so the other question that i have um is for people that are listening that maybe are listening through this and going yeah i still want to do a class action i still want to go after the company that i've been with the question i have for you um is do I have a case? And if I have a case, what are my next steps?
1: Yeah. So that, this is, this is, I I, I want to give you a multi-part um, answer. I appreciate it. I, I can't <laughs> even tell you
0: how many times I get emails that are like,
1: yeah.
0: I saw Lula Rich. I saw the Vice documentary. I watched your TikToks, whatever. Oh my God, I'm in a cult. Oh my God, an MLM. I looked at my money. I'm in the red. What do I do next? I want to sue them. I don't know. And I'm just like, Ooh, I, I, okay, here we go. I, I gotta go, I gotta go above my pay grade on this answer.
1: (laughs) Well, number one, I, I, I don't want people to call me. I mean, I, 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 I'm happy to talk with, with, with folks, but I, I don't do, um, class action work anymore. It's just, I'm a sole practitioner. This is my office. This is my staff. Um, you know, so, um, so I, you know, I'm just not in a position to, to, to take on, um, uh, cases like that yeah I can, I can absolutely not I just want and,
0: you as an amazing resource
1: well thank you for that um, number one what I what I, I, I tell people is um, first of all go to the FTC um, the the FTC has a you know you can go to their website they have a report fraud button uh, the form you can fill out online tell your story it's really, really important that the regulators hear from people who have been victimized by these things. Because one of the things that we faced, you know, folks like Bob and I and, and, and others who have been at this for a while, is there's this pattern um, that, in fact, the FTC has documented, that victims of pyramid schemes are the least likely uh, to report their, uh, their fraud uh, or that they've been defrauded uh, as, as to any other type of fraud. Um, you know, and, and, and we need to study why that's the case. I think there's a lot of shame involved. There's a lot of guilt. There's Absolutely. fear. Um, there are all sorts of reasons why uh, uh, people don't do that. But, but the regulators need to hear from uh, uh, victims. Um, so, uh, so go to the FTC. Go also to your state attorney general. Um, every, uh, every state ha- has, has an official that is, is supposed to be dealing with consumer protection. Um, it shouldn't be too difficult to find out uh, who that official is. And, and generally, they're gonna have a website where you can you know, click on a button, fill out a form online. So if you, know, if you write something that you're gonna send to the, to the FTC, Make sure you copy it, and then go to your state attorney general and and file file the same thing. Tell the whole story. You know what happened to you, uh, how much money you lost. Uh, uh, you know what what went on. Uh, if you have uh, you know documents, sometimes you can attach those documents to the thing. The regulators need to hear about this, and they can and they should act to uh, protect people. Uh, and, and shut these companies down, and hopefully, uh, and the pro- of course the problem with the regulators doing that is that most of the damage has already been done. Um, you know, by, by allowing these companies to operate, usually when the FTC goes after a pyramid scheme, they're almost always successful. In fact, I don't, I don't think they have, they've always prevailed one way or the other, but in terms of recovering money for victims, it's, it's usually pennies on the dollar uh, because the money's gone. So number one, uh, go to the regulators.
0: Yeah, and I have all of those links in uh, at the very bottom of the show notes. There's always like a how can you help. And there's always yep. the, the there's a link to how to find your AG. There's a link to the report fraud. And, and there's a link to all of that stuff, even truth and advertising, you know, send it there too. send it to these yeah. uh, consumer reporters as well and get it out there. Literally, like Doug said, copy and paste. Send it everywhere. And how often should they do that? Doug, should they only do it once, or should they kind of every couple of months redo it?
1: Well, um, I don't. I don't advocate sort of flooding. You know, that's one thing that the industry did when they were fighting the the, the business opportunity rule. Um, they, they they got like twelve thousand or fifteen thousand people to submit sort of cookie cutter uh, comments. Uh, you know, opposing what the the, the, the business opportunity rule, what when it was at first proposed, would have covered multi-level marketing companies, and the and the industry mounted this lobbying campaign, and they got a, they got exempted from the rule. So every other type of business opportunity has to provide pre-sale disclosures to prospective distributors, except for MLM, uh, and that's the power of, of lobbying. And one of the things they did is they flooded um, the FTC with the sort of cookie cutter uh, uh, comments. Well, I don't advocate doing that, but I, I do advocate following up. Um, so yeah, and, uh, uh, you know, every few months, yeah, say, hey, I submitted this complaint. Are you guys doing anything? Um, and of course, they can't tell you. If they're investigating, uh, they're not going to tell you. But, yeah, Just keep like giving say,
0: that squeaky wheel some grease every yeah. couple months.
1: It has to be, and and, and and volume matters. You know, if 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 a thousand people complain, it's better than if three people complain. But they should all be real complaints and they should all be individual, you know, this is this is what happened to me. Uh, you know, don't copy someone else's complaint and, and submit it, write your own. It doesn't have to be perfect English. It doesn't have to be, you know, worded the way a lawyer would would word it. It's actually very powerful uh to to just, you know, to just, you know, write from the heart and 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 say what you uh, you know, what happened to you.
0: We saw the after effects of doing that in Washington state against Lula Roe. That's how we got that movement there. So there is so much power in the public voice coming together and making these reports and letting the states and and the FTC know because they don't know they can't read our minds we don't they don't know that we're having these horrible problems unless we tell them.
1: Uh, it's absolutely absolutely right and I'm I'm glad to hear that you're 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 all over that. But in terms of you know your own claim and bringing a class action, there are uh, some firms that 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 uh, that do this. And I suppose I should give this some more thought in terms of you know you know because I, I'm not I'm not sure that I, I know when when I was doing this um, it was always a bone of contention between me and my partners as to whether we should be doing these cases at all because there were many more profitable cases that 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 we were handling and um, you know these these uh, MLM cases are, are very difficult so it's not like. There are certain types of cases that the, that the plaintiff's class action firms fight over. They actually, there are fights over who controls the case because so many people, you know, you might have 30 or 40 or 50 uh, lawsuits in, involving one issue, uh, and, and the lawyers will fight amongst themselves as to who controls the case. This usually doesn't happen with the MLM cases. Uh, they're not, you know, they're, they're just not that. Uh, attractive from from the lawyer's point of view but as I say there are some lawyers who are who are bringing these cases uh, some very good lawyers uh, that, that I know and uh, i and I certainly should talk with them before i i sick a lot of people on uh, <laughs> this. well <laughs> we could have, have a whole other
0: on. episode about that kind of stuff
1: yeah Does that, yeah. Answer that? That's I a, think yeah. so
0: I mean you know if someone's got if someone thinks that they have a case then then the best thing to do is To file those complaints, maybe find other people that are victims. Facebook groups are a great place to find support for the victims of MLM. There's lots of anti-MLM victim support groups. And there's even specific, there's Lula Road groups, there's Monet groups. So if one of those companies, if they don't have it, make one. If you were in it and you know people that were victimized as well, add them, create these groups, create these grassroots support groups and get the people in there to complain to your state AG, to the FTC, to the media, that is how, like I started talking about LuLaRoe four years ago, you guys. And this is what's happened in four years. This is not like yesterday I decided to start talking about LuLaRoe and they're like, okay, let's make a movie. Four years of like being on the ground, boots on the ground, working, helping, talking to victims, reporting things. It takes time. It takes so much time. It takes so many people it's totally worth it, and it's amazing, and the validation and the catharsis when you actually get to go up against your victimizer and tell your story is incredible, but it takes time, and so you've got to start these grassroots things. You, you have to find other victims. You have to tell your stories. You, you're, If you're listening to this, you're on the right track already. You're listening to other victim stories. Go a little bit deeper. Start that group. Join that group. Find that group, and and create this movement inside, because honestly- it's the victims' stories. It's the victims that will make the change. The loopholes in, in in the FTC and the government, the only thing those loopholes do is they create more sophisticated scammers. So it's the public push. It's the social justice movement of, hey, there's a problem and no one's listening. So we're going to make so much noise that they can't not listen anymore.
1: Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. And you've reminded me of one other thing that you should be doing.
0: Okay, Where let's if- hear it.
1: Go to your congressman. Go to your senator. Go to your congressman. Um, again, they all have websites. They all have online forms that you can that you can uh, fill out. Take that same, you know, cut and paste your your complaint from from the FTC, and and tell your congressman about it. Right now, there's there's a there's a there's a direct selling caucus. There there are congressmen who are essentially in the pocket of the industry uh, and anytime any any law or regulation uh, looks like it's going to get passed that might affect the industry they're mobilized there is no congressperson right now who is speaking out about uh, you know this this business um, I don't know if someone somewhere is going to do it I don't know who it is yet um, but I'm pressing whatever buttons I can press, but but you know, go to your, go to your congressman and and you know you know they you know the congressman they're always looking for you know flagship issues they're always looking for issues that where they they can sort of do do good and also make themselves look good at the same time and here's an issue where millions of people are getting ripped off every year. To the tune of billions of dollars. Um, why doesn't one of these, you know, young uh, Congress Congress people who who uh, you know they 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 need to uh, get support and need to get attention? Hey, uh, here's an issue that that someone needs to to take. So, you know,
0: man, they would have so many supporters behind them instantaneously. Yeah, if somebody were to actually say, look we got to do this. We have to start this grassroots educational movement. I mean, you know, and here's the other thing that I want to say, because a lot of times people, if I bring up anything slightly political at all, people are like, ah, so I want people to know that MLM is not a red issue or a blue issue. It is smack dab in the middle. It is just, it's, it's, you know, big tobacco, big pharma. They don't pick red or blue either it affects every single person and big pyramid is exactly the same. So when people are like, mm, it's this and mm, it's that, I'm like, uh, mm, maybe listen to the dream, maybe read Ponziomics. Yeah. It's not, it's both sides. And I, I remember reading Bob's book and some of the names that came up and I was like, what?
1: Yeah. Madeline Albright.
0: That's the one I was thinking
1: of for, uh, for, for Herbalife. I mean, what a, a, you know, just a tragic, uh, uh, miscalculation on, on, on her part. Um, Just like
0: your heart just ripped out and shredded. Like, I was like, she's like, it's a great product and I use it. And I was just like, what are you doing, Madeline? What are you doing right now?
1: Yeah. Did, Did, you know, did you have anyone, uh, vetting this 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 company or giving you any background on 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 what you you were
0: getting into. Right, so it's but so it's, important. It's, it's all need over here. Yeah,
1: right, they are definitely. I mean, going back to the 70s, yeah, probably they were they're mostly on the on the GOP side but they've become equal opportunity uh, campaigners.
0: Absolutely. And one of my favorite websites is Open Secrets, where you can actually see where the PAC donations go. And if you go to the Direct Sellers Association, their caucus, and you look that graph, some years it's super blue and some years it's super red. And you can tell because they're trying to get people in office that will help their agenda. You guys talk about agendas all the time. Mm, It's going to help your agenda. This is a literal agenda and we're just ignoring it. So MLM is political, but it's not red or blue. It's just sort of, we should actually know what's going on so that we can combat this and fight it properly. Like you're doing. Well, (laughs) thank you so much. Like, (laughs) thank thank you for
1: having me. I really, I think you're you're doing great work and I I look forward to, I've got a, view more of your, your podcasts, but, uh, um, uh, and, and the whole row thing has been, uh, uh, very impressive. So, uh,
0: thank you. You know, we're working really hard. There's so many of us behind the scenes getting this done and yeah. it's, it's been incredible. I don't know if you, if you saw the documentary or not, but it's a fun, it's a fun ride.
1: Yeah. I haven't had a chance yet, but I, I've, I've heard wonderful things about it. And of course I, am very close with, with Bob. So I, I, I will, uh, definitely, I, I, I've been resisting, uh, you know, enriching Jeff Bezos and, and Amazon, but I, I, this will be a reason for me to, uh, to, to sign up. So,
0: yeah, it is. Uh, it's great. Um, and it's, it's the thing that I like the most that I knew would happen. It's creating so many new conversations. And they're the conversations that we should have been happen, having for a long time. And they're starting to have happen now. And I'm just really excited that, that they're happening at all. Yes, so thank sure. you so much, Doug, for coming on and enlightening people and maybe giving them a couple um, jumping off points if, if they want to fight these MLMs on the backside. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate all of your insight. And like I said, you paving the way so that we can do this stuff now. Everything that you guys have done, the lawsuits, the cases you fought, the rules you've helped establish, you guys are the OGs. Thank you so much for laying down that brick road, because without you, we wouldn't be nearly as close to the Emerald City as we are now.
1: Thanks for that thought. And thank you for what you are doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share and follow us on social media at Life After MLM podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins.